Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is and transforming, and we are empowering our listeners to knowing impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, several ways you can do that if you're Right now, we're doing live on Facebook, so you can tune in to Facebook Live. You can also uh, uh, tune in, listen live to uh, the broadcast on radio, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash zero today. Go there. You can listen to that live. You can hit us up on uh, the Zero Network page on Facebook. Also, follow us on Twitter at Zero Radio on Twitter, uh, uh, Rizzo T. Neal. Uh, that's my handle on Twitter. All social media we're on, we're trying, and we invite you to join us always. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, if you want to call, if you the chat line is open also on YouTube live, so, live, so you can get your uh, uh, comments in there. But also, uh, you can dial 347-237-5278. Uh, That's the number to call if you'd like to get your thoughts Insights, uh, dialogue on the air of Blog Talk Radio. We're glad that you're tuning in with us today. We have a uh, a great mess, uh, great program lined up for you. I'm sorry, I'm doing too much at one time. <laughs> it's Claire, man. I say. Um, so we're going to be talking on the topic of preventing pressure inside and outside the church, of uh, communities. How can we prevent uh, predators in light of the the airing of document documentary on Lifetime R Kelly. Now I did not watch that, so I have no insight about that, and, and I talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, and so that's basically what we're going to be talking about. But a couple of the headlines that did catch my attention. Um, I don't know if any of you have Chris Hill, who was uh, pastor of the Potter's House Church in Colorado, um, a protege of Dr. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, 
And uh, recently, I think over the New Year weekend, he was detained in Atlanta Hartfield Airport. And um, he presented a post uh, stating that he was detained. He was uncertain as to why he was detained and, uh, you know, asking for prayers and for his release and all of that. And it was later discovered or he provided to his audience and followers information as to why he was detained, why he said he was uncertain. It was later determined that he was detained because he had not paid child support. So he had the old back child support. He was leaving the country to uh, preach an engagement outside of the country. Uh, I think it was in South Africa. So he was leaving to go preach there, uh, but was not allowed to leave the country because his passport had been flagged because he owed back child support. Uh, uh, and I, the only reason I know about uh, Pastor Chris Hill is because, again, he, you know, he pastor of the Potter's House Church, protege of Bishop Jakes, and he had a scandal that came to light about two years ago. Uh, the scandal was he had an affair on his wife, and that's not uncommon for preachers, unfortunately. <laughs> that's not uncommon. He had an affair on his wife, but the person he cheated with, I believe, was one of his spiritual daughters or mentors or something like that. Um, so that was the scandal, and he ended up being released from the church, uh, and now he's back in headlines again. Well, Christian headlines again for for that particular reason. And um, uh, he was soliciting prayers and later had, I think, well, I know you can go to um, the old black church um, block site and uh, uh, Ms. Ann Brock was a wonderful uh, uh, blogger and uh, she provided this link story and he put up a video basically uh, addressing his situation and spilling the tea on his you know what led to all that happened to him leaving Potter's house how you know he cheated on his wife because he claims that she was a wicked woman. I don't know the woman, but being married to a preacher <laughs> might make you wicked. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No offense to preachers' wives or preachers' spouses. Their spices also. Uh, so you know, he went on and he went on uh, on the tangent about the uh, the things leading to him. And his situation. Now, I personally believe there's no excuse for uh, back child support. I don't have any children, and you know, I know a lot of brothers who, um, for various reasons, are unable to take care of that particular fiscal obligation. Some are incarcerated. Some don't have the means of, you know, by way of employment, they don't make enough and. You know, sometimes they have two or three children they have to pay uh, child support on. So, you know, it's all crazy kind of things. But still, if you have the means, and in this case, it, it appears that he had the means and maybe it was neglect. You know, he had steady preaching engagements. He had the means and it just appears to be neglect. So, yes, I, I think you should pray for him in that sense. You know, he, I think it was a, a common Jesus moment. For him, for accountability, uh, and it should be a wake-up moment for 
all clergy involved in situations like that. You know, if we are going to be the clergy, we we are expected to be, then we need to be aware of all of our obligations. And I'm talking by myself, you know, because, you know, that goes for credit, <laughs> that goes for, uh, you know, regular bills, all of that stuff. You know, we, we, we have to be good stewards and you know, I have to be the first one to take accountability because when it comes to paying some of my bills, if I did not have direct debit, <laughs> if they weren't automatically drafted out, man, I, you know, I'd be neglected, <laughs> neglectful. That's just me. I, uh, you know, I forget, and I'm glad to have auto payment <laughs> because I, those things come out. Sometimes they may put me in a financial bind, but I know I'm taking care of my obligations. So. But, you know, prior to that, I did have issues trying to make sure all of that was taken care of. And it's good to have a spouse who's able to take care of that, or not take care of it, but assist you in that. Uh, in that. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, so uh, I just thought that was interesting. I, did, um, I was reading in uh, the old black church, and that was the two top stories that came up right then. Um, I'm soliciting your prayers on behalf of my family. My beloved grandmother passed away on Monday night. Um, many of you who know me know that she raised me and my brothers after my mother was killed in an act of domestic violence that involved the gun in 1980. So nearly 40 years ago, she took us into our her home raised us as her children. I, You know, for, for years, I didn't know my aunts were actually, you know, my aunts. I thought they were my sisters. <laughs> and sometimes they treated us, they, and they still do. They treat us like, you know, like little brothers more more so than and nieces. I mean, nephews, not nieces. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so um, I there was a great loss when we lost her. Having gained a wonderful person, um, we have been preparing for this for a number of weeks. Um, let me tell you, that woman is so strong. That woman surpassed everybody's expectations of survival. She just fought. And um, even as her bodily abilities were um, were limited and uh, uh were coming to an end. Her cognitive ability was still there. She was still trying to interact as best she could and got to love a woman like that. She she did well. And she is resting with the ancestors. So lives of our family will be uh celebrating life next week. And if you're in Monroe, Louisiana area and you would like to come and join in our celebration, you're welcome to. It'll be next Friday, uh in Monroe, Louisiana at the Riverside Missionary Baptist Church. So uh, you're welcome to join us in celebrating her life. And uh, I am soliciting in advance your 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 prayers and thoughts because this little kid will be giving the eulogy. And I can't think of a better way. Uh, let me let me show you this. When I first told my grandmother I was called to preach, I think I was about. I think I may have been about ten. Um, when I first can cognitively remember having that conversation with her. But I believe she, well, I ain't no believe. I already knew she knew because uh, the saying is that 
my great-grandparents, her parents, and I had the privilege of uh, knowing them and living with, you know, sharing time with them before they transitioned. And my maternal great-grandparents all said that I would be a preacher when I was born and as a little child. So they, they all said that. And, you know, when I, I acknowledged my call publicly 12 and when I began public public ministry, because yeah, I was doing a lot of preaching or speaking at 12, 13, and 14, but when I got my license to preach at 16, she was right there, right there. Uh, she looked good, and she had the biggest smile on her face because, you know, hey, I made her <laughs> look good. But the proudest moment for me, not only was she at that first public sermon, she was also at my 25th anniversary celebration um, a few years ago. She she and my grandfather and my brother, they traveled in the, I mean, in the storm. They traveled in the storm from Louisiana to come to Jackson, Mississippi to be a part of that celebration with me. And um, that made the moment even more special. <laughs> so, and uh, uh, thank you, Terrence. Bless you too, classmate. Uh, that made the moment even more special. Um, and Spending time with her throughout, the, uh, she had Parkinson's disease. So I want to encourage those of you, if you want to support any type of organization uh, or any type of um, uh, movements uh, or things of that nature, we support, my family supports breast cancer awareness, and we'll be supporting uh, Parkinson's also because we've had uh, loved ones. And uh, gun violence prevention. Parkinson's now and breast cancer because we've had loved ones that we were directly impacted by those um, those incidents. So I want to strongly encourage you to, to support things like that, uh, agencies that are conducting research and things of that nature to bring greater awareness and also find a cure for these things. So that's my my pen, my uh, my little promotion for that. So, and again, um, we are still listening to your prayers, and thank you. Thank you for all your uh, comments uh, on our Facebook yesterday and texts and messages and things. But, you know, the journey is just beginning for us. It's still a long way to go because she was the matriarch. She was the rock. You know, all the, she was my dear, literally. Now, she wasn't Tyler Perry, my dear. No, no. She was the church hat wearing my dear that would sit quietly in the church. And she didn't say anything in church. As long as I can remember, she'd sit there, but she'd be taking it all in. Every now and then, she'd raise her hand, and, you know, she would be in service. But she was that one. She saw everything. <laughs> and when she was a mother in the church, I I, I only feel I feel bad for those kids because I'm, I'm quite sure as a mother, she saw everything. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um so be in prayer again. If you'd like to participate in the celebration of life that we're going to be having uh, for her, that will be uh, happening next Friday in Monroe, Louisiana. Okay, so let's get into the topic of the day. And I don't plan to do a long broadcast. Um, the radio show usually lasts about an hour, so you know we may go, may not, uh, because I'm doing this live format. We may, uh, you know, we may abridge it. How we can. 
how the conversation goes. If you guys get involved in the dialogue, then yes, we'll have a very fruitful, <laughs> long conversation. But if I gotta do all the talking, <laughs> it won't go long because I'll run out of fuel. Anyway, so how can we prevent predators inside the uh, inside and outside the black faith community? And um, I bring this to light because again, the documentary "Surviving R. Kelly," uh, I did not watch, uh, but it's good to be on social media because there were enough people who watched for me to provide their own commentary on on uh, Mr. Kelly, the allegations, and anything else that was associated with that, uh, all the parties and all of that. Um, and I'm going to tell you this, this is a very taboo subject in the black community, in the extended black community as well as and particularly the black church community, uh, because we know now, because of the Roman Catholic Church and and the, all the things that happened in the mid-2000s with the Roman Catholic Church here in the United States, uh, we, 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 we saw how much, how big of an issue predatory or predators are in the church or sexual exploitation of minors, women, and yes, even men in the church is. Um, it, it, it happens more than we care to admit. And in many, many cases, there are no systems in place. There are no systems in place for churches where, where this happens. And in many cases, it is reactionary uh, things that people do, that church leaders do, church administrators do, is reactionary, and it's good reactionary, where they then put in policies or procedures to protect those who are vulnerable. And our children are very vulnerable, and the black church, women are very vulnerable because they make up the majority of uh, church population across the board, black and white. Um, and those vulnerable parties are more likely to be exploited by persons who are predators. And it took me a while to realize that some people who have predatory tendencies join the church, enter ministry, because they know that that is a place for them to find vulnerable persons. Think about that for a moment. That is a place for them to find vulnerable persons. Now, from all the commentary that I was reading regarding uh, the R. Kelly documentary and the stories of how parents would bring their daughters to this to his concerts and. And I ain't gonna lie, I love the man's music. I greatly admire his music. I've arranged his music for bands. I've, um, you know, I, I bought a couple of his positive CDs. I didn't buy Chocolate Factory. I, I didn't buy Twelve Play. Uh, I didn't buy that. I, I think I do have one album uh, CD that I bought, and uh, can't remember the song that I, the reason I bought it. I think it was, of course, it was on sale. <laughs> But I can't recall exactly why I purchased it. Uh, while some may call him a musical genius in, uh, in the in the realm of Michael Jackson and Prince, 
uh, he 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 very he is very talented, but that talent had with it um, apparently the pervasiveness to be a predator. And those parents were bringing their children, their daughters to him with the hopes of this him discovering them and leading their child to uh, greater heights. It's no different across the board, you know. Yes, he was in arena, but think about think about this that the coach at Michigan who was the gymnast uh, was not the coach, the doctor was a gymnast, was a trusted, respected doctor for all those gymnasts in the you know, United States and across the world, I guess, and and how he himself was a predator, and it took decades for many of those young ladies to come forth about how how he uh, exploited sex. And let, let me clarify when I use the term exploit and predator. I'm using terms uh, not in a sense, but predator in the sense that these persons predetermined their praxis. They have predetermined what they will do. They have predetermined who they will interact with, who they will try to interact with, who they will try to seduce. That's a predator. I'm not talking about a person, uh, male or female, who has an inappropriate relationship uh, because, you know, they may be uh, attracted to that, you know, attracted to that person and that person may be underage because that's there are cases like that, unfortunately, you know, and it's nothing new. You know, we've had this in, in the black community for for generations. You know, older men would be uh, attracted to a teenage girl and go to the family and say, I want your daughter. And, you know, so girls would be marrying, getting married as young as 14 and 15. And, of course, there were some men, you know, that were the way people say that, hey, Pearl, uh, thank you. Yes, she was. She was the sweetest person, the sweetest spirit. But y'all didn't see when she whooped us. I'm just saying, Doris Jackson was sweet, 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 sweet. But when she was ready to whoop us, I don't know where that sweetness went. (laughs) All that sweetness went out when she got that switch, that belt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I should have called the peoples on her a couple times. I'm lying. I'm I'm lying. I never would have done that. But thank you, Pearl. Keep us in your prayer. Um, so when it comes to predators, these are persons who are intentional in becoming a part of an organization because they are aware of vulnerable persons who are in that organization, in that church, in whatever it may be, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, any kind of organization where they will have access to the vulnerable population. They are predators. Okay, that would, that's how I define a predator. So, predator uh, is intentional. Um, and um, exploit, when I use the term exploit, I'm speaking in terms of knowing these persons who are predators, knowing that the, the person that they are intentionally preying upon will more than likely have their trust. And they're able to take advantage of that individual's trust. That is how I'm using the term exploit. In some ways, they will use manipulation. Sometimes it can be emotional manipulation. They will be able to tell, uh, especially vulnerable children uh, and and teens. Uh, here's the thing with teenagers. When teenagers 
are going through this moment of puberty and adolescence, they are highly vulnerable and highly susceptible to parties who will prey upon them and exploit them. That includes teachers, that includes ministers, that includes uh, uh, volunteers in local uh, agencies or organizations or uh, things that they are part of. And those persons who who are predators are aware of this. Some men may be fully cognizant of the, how aware they are, but they are aware subconsciously. They understand that they have the ability to manipulate said individual, said vulnerable party. They have the ability to do that. In the black church, um, unfortunately, because uh, within the constraints of the black church, you know, we, we all family. <laughs> we all family. We all brother and sister. And because we all family, you know, I'm just another brother or sister. And that is a dangerous concept. And um, we we must be uh, careful in our, in our readiness and our zeal to want to uh, embrace everyone. I guess you can say that. Because not all embracing of individuals who want to work with a particular vulnerable party are worth it, you know. Um, Everybody, and, and as a pastor, I've learned this and because I've worked in youth ministry and I've worked in public education as a, as a teacher and as a school administrator. Um, one thing I do know is that parents love the fact that persons are interested in their children. You know, when I was a band director, um, and at one school I was teaching, um, I had a great relationship with the little, the young boys in the band. And their parents loved the fact that I had a relationship with them. And I, I'll tell you, it, it got on my nerves because, you know, they're budding boys. It, yeah, it was just crazy. Um, but they trusted me enough to understand you know, that I had the best interest of that child at hand, and I wasn't trying to be a predator, you know, I wasn't trying to manipulate them. Uh, if I'm picking up your son uh, or your daughter, in that case, sometimes I picked up that, some daughters, uh, some young ladies, but I'm doing it because, you know, I feel obligated as part of my role. If, you know, you can't, you know, I don't mind dropping your kid off if, you know, I don't mind, you know, and I did quite a bit of that. Every you know, and I still even in 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 my role now as pastor, that you know some children I I picked up from the home and dropped off at you know at the home, and um, I do that with care. I I do that with care, you know, and caution. <laughs> I do that with care and caution. Uh, but because parents want to have positive figures in their children's lives. Uh, they are more likely to be vulnerable to giving their child over to a predator if they're not aware of the predator. If they're and and I wish I could present you with signs that would determine uh, so that you can say what a predator looks like. Uh, unfortunately, there are no concrete signs. There are no there are no concrete some in some instances there really are. Uh, some instances there really are signs as you can see. If the person is obviously pandering towards a child in a way that is 
very sexually aggressive, then you know that's a predator. That's one of the obvious. Uh, the other thing, I know when I was a kid, they used to, you know, don't get in the car with strangers, stranger danger, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, it'd be something like, oh, you know, want to pet my puppy? And <laughs> speaking of this, you know, I have a dog, my, my, my little dude, Jackson, and children love Jackson. They love Jackson. Jackson don't like children too much. You know, he got to grow into children, uh, but he don't mind them rubbing his belly. But, you know, he, he, you know, he, he wants all my attention. And he don't he doesn't mind when children give him attention, but he thinks sometimes the children want attention from me, and he starts trying to block them like no, that's my daddy <laughs> but uh the children would just love to play with Jackson, and I know of stories where adults would use their pets as a means of you know getting children to uh in that position where they could adopt abduct them, molest them, all kinds of stuff. And it, it, it's a very, very, it's it's horrible when adults do such a thing. It's horrible when adults do such a thing. Um, but again, you know, what I was saying is that when, when parents place themselves in that position of vulnerability because they want the best for their children, and I can understand those parents uh, that interacted with R. Kelly wanted the best for their children. They believed that they those opportunities were available because he was so accessible, it seemed like, you know, and they ended up doing harm. And you can't fault parents. You can only fault the predator. You can only fault the one who does the exploiting. That's it, you know. Uh, in any case where a vulnerable audience, a vulnerable person is exploited, in any manner, um, you should not you should not place blame on the victim. You should not victim blame or victim shame. That is not what should be doing. And I I applaud all those persons who said who, who who say you know stop blaming the victim and defending the violator. And unfortunately, we have a habit here uh, in the black church where that happens where a lot of violators get defended, and the victims are shamed, and that should not be. You know, that should not be. You should not always believe the victim. Sometimes, that you know, if the victim's story is sketchy, it's okay to question and integrate until you find the root of the matter, and, and you can determine whether it was truthful or not, authentic or not, valid or not. And that's what should be done in every situation. You know, don't just take the word at face value, you know, investigate and find out. And, but in a lot of cases, you know, there may not be any need to investigate investigate beyond, you know, there's obvious sexual abuse. You know, if you caught him in the midst, in the act of sexual abuse, or if you find evidence, text messages, you know, inboxing and uh, uh, inappropriate pictures, things that they sent from the predator. Uh, you know, to to the uh, vulnerable parties. Yes, you know that's incriminating. You know, <laughs> that that's incriminating. If it's just a crime situation, which unfortunately happens more times than we would care to admit, there there are uh, parties who know they are vulnerable in this day and age. There are children who know they are vulnerable parties and know that they can manipulate situations to you know do that. There are women who can 
the same thing. There are men who do the same thing. And and so we must be care, careful to differentiate and that all of that. Uh, Rosalind, the universal call to salvation does not require us to abandon uh, attaining knowledge. Those who labor among you, you are absolutely right. We should know those who labor among us. Uh, one thing I admire about being in the age is that um, it is mandatory for every clergy person, even those who are licentiates in the church, they're just coming into ministry. Every clergy person, active and retired, must uh, participate in a um, a clergy sexual misconduct uh, course, uh, uh, course class, whatever you want to call it, we, is mandated. And we, especially those who are in active itinerant ministry, we don't receive appointments if we miss that. You know, that's you know, you can't get out of that. You don't get an appointment to a church. You don't get an appointment to a committee or anything like that if you miss that. We take it just that serious. And then of course. That came out of a moment of reaction because we needed uh, policies and procedures in place. In our book of discipline, we have a very lengthy policy regarding clergy sexual misconduct, how to report it, and all of that. We have a very lengthy process with which we must go through and understand and sign off that we understand and we have gone through this and we know what the policy and procedure is of African Methodist Episcopal Church when it comes to clergy sexual misconduct. But we also have in our book of discipline a section dictating how clergy should behave, <laughs> listing the rules for pastors. You know, this is what a pastor should be doing. And when I go and get my book of discipline, in my book of discipline here, and, uh, oops, in this book of discipline, it tells where what we should be doing. And I go through this with my students in uh, the ministerial training. Uh, as the dean, this is one thing I want to make sure that they know this book backwards and forward, and I want to make sure that they know particularly the things regarding clergy. They should know. I want to make sure that they know, and they are practicing so that <laughs> they don't put themselves in any any situation that would make cause them to have to uh, be an R. Kelly, <laughs> anything like that nature. Let, I, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, uh, if again, you know, this is we're live on Facebook and we're also live on Block Talk Radio. If you want to get your thoughts on the air on Block Talk Radio, uh, call three four seven two three seven five two three zero, and we can get your comments on. If you make a comment online on Facebook, I may miss it. You, know, um, I I may miss that. So that's the best way. I, it's not that I can't see it. Sometimes I'm just not able to see it. So. But thank you all who are joining in. Thank you for all the comments, and I would love to hear your uh, your insight and dialogue um, on this topic. Now, uh, let me address uh, the secondary issue of predators and how we can prevent it. Not only must we be aware of persons who are predators, persons who are intentional in their efforts to uh, exploit manipulate, take advantage of uh, vulnerable persons in faith communities and outside faith communities, you know, uh, in the church in particular, because that's, that is within the reference that I am speaking of and I practice. Um, we must 
be aware, and I touched on this, that there are victims and there are violators. And when it comes to the victims, we must understand that there's a trauma that is associated with that, whether it is sexual abuse, whether it's an emotional manipulation, whether it is whatever else it is that could be pertain to that. Um, we must understand that there is a trauma that is associated with that that can last throughout that individual's life that will bleed over and carry over to how that person interacts with other individuals, particularly if it's an adult and uh, a teenager. If that if a person is violated in their early years, we have empirical evidence to show that that person will more than likely commit that same type of violation against another individual. Uh, we research has shown that we know that to be factual, and in some cases, and perhaps even in the case of R. Kelly himself, uh, when it comes to molestation or whatever it may be. Uh, if that happens in those very uh, those young developmental years, the likelihood of the person that it was committed upon committing say, the same atrocity highly increases, and that's something that uh, most most pastors are not aware of. A lot of families are not aware of, and so you have this cycle of violence. Against another, and I'm not talking about not necessarily not necessarily a physical violence, but an emotional violence, a mental violence, uh, and in some cases, a physical violence that would continue, and it can continue generationally. You know, some may call it a generational curse. I don't like using the term curse, and uh, as much as I like a generation pattern of behavior, and to to differentiate the curse a spiritual thing from a pattern of behavior that can be observed. And many of us can look back in our families and we can find patterns of behavior in in our families that we know. Uh, we could probably, you know, trace back to a particular event in one individual's life. And it goes on also, it continues also over into the church. Uh, if person who has been a violator Violate someone in the church, either if they're, you know, the youth director, the minister, the, you know, the minister or whatever it may be, or just a member who has access to uh, vulnerable parties, you know, if they have been reproached in that manner, the likelihood of them repeating that manner, that that increases greatly. And unfortunately, in in most black faith communities, most black churches. We have no way of screening for that. We have no way of screening that. Now, we are required to have background checks um, at our local churches for any person that works with children. Uh, anytime we go on our, um, well, for our Christian Education uh, Congress or anything that at church school, um, it is required that we report that. You know, we don't report it to a physical office, but. I personally, you know, as a pastor, we have records of those persons. They provide to us the background check, and, you know, we are able then to determine if they are fit to, to participate in youth ministry, particularly as a chaperone to events. 
uh, that children will be present at. And it, it's a wonderful thing to have. I tell you that much. It's, it's works. It works. It works. And it serves as a screener because, again, you're able to, you know, sift. You're able to sift those persons, those parties that are intentional in being predators. Uh, every system does not work, and I, I could give you a plethora of systems and anything. Uh, with, 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 if you're a pastor, you know, it's very, it's very pertinent that you uh, find one that works for your church. But it should include mandatory black background checks for all persons working in ministry, whether they're working with youth or not working with youth. If they're going to be on the usher board, if they're going to be president of the usher board. <laughs> As, but, and especially if they're key persons in your ministry, they're key persons, uh, you know, if they're board chairmen, you know, things of that nature, and especially associate ministers, you know, if the person is going to be in your ministry in any capacity, particularly as a preacher, they need to have a federal background check. You know, they they need to have it, uh, they need to have it checked and cleared. Uh, I'm getting a lot of messages on, on Messenger. Uh, so let me. My apologies. My apologies. My apologies. All right. So again, uh, good morning. Hey Olivia, good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank. You. Hey, uh, I know. I don't know if Shannon told you, but uh, Olivia. Uh, yeah, I talk with you offline. Um, what was I? I lost my train of thought. I didn't take my Adderall this morning, so. <laughs> uh, so, recognizing that there is a trauma that is associated with uh, those events is another thing the church must do, faith communities must do, organizations outside of the church must do in regards to preventing, being proactive, being preventing, not reactionary. And in some cases, it may be reactionary. But when we are able to determine that both the violator and the violated both have been affected by some form of trauma, we're better able to minister to them in the collective ministry. You know, we must be able to. It's time out for preachers just trying to get folk blessed and prosperous and it's time for us to deal with real immediate needs of those who are in our care. There are people who are really hurting sitting in pews Sunday after Sunday, and they may get feel-good messages for one week, but those messages aren't necessarily going to deal help them deal with the trauma that is associated with any type of violation that they may have had from their youth or even in their presence. So we gotta be able to we have to be able to craft messages from scripture. And believe me, there are enough scriptures in 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 that to deal with trauma. And when I think about particularly the issue of sexual exploitation, there are two scriptures that jump out at me, two stories in the scripture, both Old Testament that jump out to me. The first one is the story of uh uh is it Talia? I can't remember her name. Um Delia, Delia, not Delia, but anyway, is uh, a daughter of Jacob, Reuben, and her his brothers, 
Yeah. Y'all help me out. Uh, I cannot think of this. But anyway, she uh, she meets up with a, a man who depends on how you interpret the scripture, particularly the original Dinah. Thank you. Thank you. See, I'm glad to have biblical scholars that I can't. <laughs> Rosalind. Uh, and uh, so Dinah, her story is this. She has a, a male acquaintance, and uh, they have relations of some kind, and depending, again, how you read the scripture, whether it was consensual or non-consensual. Uh, but either way, eventually, he, he, he takes advantage of her. However that was, he takes advantage of her, and the news of it gets back to her family. And he then... Uh, says that well I want her now he presents a dowry to the family and her brothers you know they big and bad they're like oh yeah we accept the dowry yeah we accept the dowry long story short the brothers go on a killing spree because this person violated their sister they they go on a killing spree because he violated his, in their mind he violated this, their sister whether it was consensual or not even theologians are still debating that, but they felt that he had violated their sister, <laughs> and they went off. And then, of course, the second story is the story of Tamar and her brother, her half-brother, where uh, he gets bad wisdom, bad advice from his, his uh, friend, Jehanadab, uh, I think that's the name. Anyway, so... Uh, you know he's he's heavily intoxicated and romantically in love with his sister, and it gets to the point that he is not able to fully function because it's, it's overwhelming him, his desire. Uh, thank you for the condolences. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's, it's overwhelming him, his desire to be with his sister. So he gets advice from his friend on how to get his sister. Friend says, oh, man, you know what? This is what y'all do. Y'all to fake sick. Get her to come and bring you some of her good food, her good soul food. And, you know, when the time comes, when, when you're in that intimate space, just take her. Ammon lusted after his sister. I was trying to be nice. I was, I was trying to wax poetic with my words. But he lusted after her. He, he craved it. He wanted to be with her sexually. And and his friend gives him the means of how to get her sexually by taking advantage advantage of her. So he takes advantage of her. He you know he he goes through his rules of being sick and invites her to his home. They are home alone. She is trusting in this person again. This is a primary example where you have a predator and, who is intentional, and you have someone who is being exploited. Because this person came to serve, Dinah, uh, Tamar came to serve her brother with no intention of ever having any type of physical relations with him. Yet he had intentions of having some type of physical relations with her or at the very least expressing his undying and unfailing love for her. But in the end, he takes advantage of her. He rapes her, which causes, of course his brother to react and kill him 
and brings division upon the house of David. And that division lasted for generations until eventually the kingdom failed. And we're still seeing residual of that violation in uh, Israel today. We're seeing men, uh, things of that nature. Um, so she was traumatized by that event. Her family, of course, both in both stories, the women were traumatized. In both stories, the women were violated. And in both stories, we saw very, very harsh revenge, actions of revenge taken against those parties. Now, I would never advocate for uh, vengeance. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I would never advocate in any manner for that. Um, but what I would advocate is that uh, we be more aware of how we can prevent, you know, in this case, you know, in the case of the scriptures and the stories that I told from scriptures, uh, both of those parties, those women, uh, you know, unfortunately were in vulnerable states that their brothers were not able to come to their aid. We are in an age now where we can be aware of people who are vulnerable parties in the church, as stated before, because we know the church is full of women. We know a lot of those women may be single or may be divorced or may have gone through heartache, heartbreak after heartbreak, and brothers will come in there knowing that. There will be brothers who come in there knowing that that those women are there and how vulnerable they are, and they'll take advantage of it. There are preachers who know they have vulnerable parties in their churches and will take advantage of that. The priests in the Roman Catholic Church knew that because they were seen as total authorities within their church, that they had full opportunity to use that to exploit their sexual desires. And exploit those children, those boys, and in some cases girls, and what, even some nuns. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, Roslyn, you're right. Roslyn, you're on the road. See, I tried to. I, I saw your message where you said you tried to call in, but it wouldn't let you. I, I don't know what's going on with that. But you're right. There was no help for the women, and in those in the cases, those biblical stories. And I I hope that's not the case. In our, in our faith communities today and in, in organizations today, I would hope that uh, there, well, I know there are, there is help. Plenty of organizations that can provide. If the church cannot do it on its own, there are plenty of organizations that can provide that for you. You can get the service. You can, you can contract out that service to do it for you. Uh, and, you know, you want to be able to provide the best pastoral care that you can. You want to be able to say that we are, as a pastor, I am doing everything within my means to shepherd the flock of God. I'm, you know, Jesus told Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes. And he said, feed my sheep. You know the story. Uh, uh, we want to feed our sheep. And, and I, we want to be able to say to, to our, those that we are shepherding or under-shepherding that we are aware that some are vulnerable, some are exceptionally strong, some are going to be able to take care of themselves, and 
don't want you to help them with nothing. <laughs> in my opinion, they that also makes them vulnerable. <laughs> uh, um, but we must be able to to say that we are doing all that we can to create environments within our churches, within our faith organizations, within uh, community organizations in the black community, that we are doing all we can to be proactive in preventing predators. Will we, will we be able to get them all out? No. We know plenty who get through the cracks. And again, some may have been practicing their craft of predating, uh, predating, predatoring on children and vulnerable parties for decades. And there are some who, who may just be learning the game. They, they peep the game from someone else. And there are those, there are others who, because, again, they experience that, and they are, in turn, unintentionally, and I use unintentionally lightly because, you know, if they've been affected by that event in their life, in their early development, the likelihood of them repeating it on someone else increases. We 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 have to function out of love. All everything we must do must be done out of love. But we also must be doing so in the fear of God. Uh when it comes down to a, accountability. And I take accountability very serious. Personal accountability where I am recognizing my own faults in my regular my regular uh self evaluation my daily self-exploration, I am more aware of who I am, you know, as an individual. And the likelihood of those uh, those characteristics that I wish not to come out, sometimes come out, you know, um, as Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things that I do want to do, I find myself not doing. Woe is me, but thanks be to God for Jesus the Christ who, who is able and, and who does empower us to be better, to be the new creatures that we are. We are new creations, so we should function as such. Um, in, my, in my time, I'm able to be self-aware. And I think Again, when we as pastors present ourselves transparently, uh, we're able more likely to infuse said transparency to our congregations and vulnerability to the Lord, not to each other. You know, if I'm going to be vulnerable to my congregation, I must first be vulnerable to the Lord. And I must do so with my congregation, knowing that, <laughs> hoping that they won't use it against me in the future. If they do, then, you know, oh, they. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Strike that. Stop. Rewind. Delete. <laughs> Just kidding. But we must be fair, uh, very aware of who we are as individuals and as a collective body, particularly as a collective body of the church, that everybody in the church got something. Everybody in the church has an issue. Everybody in the church is struggling with something. Everybody in the church has experienced some form of trauma. It may not be the immediate trauma of sexual violations or, or anything like that, but they're still, they're still there. And the old folks say the church is a hospital. Come to be healed by the Lord and you go out to serve and bring others to the Lord so that they in turn can continue 
that process of bringing those to Christ who need to be brought to Christ. Those who are weak and heavy laden, you know, come unto me, all you who are weary, weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's what the church is for. We don't want to bring them in the place where they should be provided rest on their Sabbath, when they come on the Sabbath and the worship, if you're worshiping on the Sabbath day or if you're worshiping on the first day, if they're coming to that place, in this place where they are hoping to engage the Creator, engage God, and to worship Him in spirit and in truth and in the beauty of His holiness, they must first recognize that that holiness is reflected to them so that they too can be people who live victorious lives. The abundant life that Christ said in John 10, 10, you know, there is one who is seeking to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And, and a lot of times that person is not uh, an evil spirit. <laughs> that person is a human person. Uh, cut me off. Oh, well. Well, I've done my time. Um, I've done my time, so... I'm uh, running out of time. I cut off on the Facebook Live broadcast, but we're still going on zero today. But anyway, we only have about a minute and a half on this. And I lost my train of thought, so. <laughs> but look, I want to encourage you, if you are listening online from uh, zero, I want to encourage you again to go and um, like all the pages, uh, like zero today on Facebook, the zero network there. Follow me on all social media. Um, uh, you can be a supporter of me on Patreon. You can be a patron there for as low as a dollar, and um, you can go there with uh, Patreon.com/slash Lorenzo T Neal and uh, sign up to support me there. Uh, whatever you're doing to support us, we appreciate it. Uh, we're gonna do all that we can to better serve this present age. Our calling to fulfill. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Thank you for your support. And, uh, again, continue to lift our as we get ready to celebrate the life of our beloved matriarch, Doris Madea Jackson. Uh, again, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Until next week, I'm out. God bless you. God keep you.